Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion on the nature and limits of federalism. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josepha Savaz. It is January the 10th, and on this day in 1776, writer Thomas Paine published his pamphlet, Common Sense, setting forth his argument in favor of American independence. Although little used today, pamphlets were an important medium for the spread of ideas in the 16th through the 19th centuries. Originally published anonymously, Common Sense advocated independence for the American colonies from Britain, and it's considered one of the most influential pamphlets in American history. Credited with uniting average citizens and political leaders behind the idea of independence, Common sense played a remarkable role in the transforming a colony uh, squabble in the American Revolution. At the time Paine wrote Common Sense, most colonists considered themselves to be aggrieved Britons. Paine fundamentally changed the tenor of colonists' arguments with the Crown when he wrote the, the following, Europe, and not England, is the parent country of America. This new world hath been the asylum for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe. Hither they have fled, not from the tender embraces of their mother country, but from the cruelty of the monster, and it's so far true of England that the same tyranny that which drove the first immigrants from home pursues their descendants still. Payne was born in England in 1737 and worked as a corset maker in his teens and later as a sailor and schoolteacher before becoming a prominent pamphleteer. In 1774, Paine arrived in Philadelphia and soon became uh, to support American independence. Two years later, his 47-page pamphlet sold some 500,000 copies, can you imagine? Powerfully influenced American opinion. Paine went on to uh, serve in the U.S. Army and to work for the Committee of Foreign Affairs before returning to Europe in 1787. Back in England, he continued writing pamphlets in support of revolution. He released The Rights of Man, supported by the, supporting the French Revolution in 1791, and in answer to Edmund Burke's famous reflections on the revolution in France. His sentiments were highly unpopular with the still monarchical British government, so he fled to France, where he was later arrested for his political opinions. He returned to the United States in 1802 and died in New York in 1809. Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine, changed the direction of uh, thought in the, in the colonies. Well, rising tech stocks helped the Nasdaq squeak out a win yesterday, even as the other averages fell. U.S. stock market closed mixed yesterday ahead of inflation data this week. A World Bank forecast global economic growth of 2.4% this year, down from 2.6% in 23 and 3% in 22. Slowed growth is attributed to rising geopolitical tensions as well as tighter credit conditions with higher interest rates. 
Well, Governor Ron DeSantis directed the State University System of Florida and the Florida College System to waive certain transfer application requirements that would otherwise unnecessarily burden the transfer of Jewish students who have a well-founded fear of anti-Semitic persecution at their current post-secondary institutions. Florida is experiencing an elevated number of inquiries from out-of-state students to transfer to Florida universities and colleges. Today's action will clear credit hour and application window requirements that would stand in the way of otherwise academically eligible transfer students. With leaders of so-called elite universities enabling anti-Semitic activities rather than protecting their students from the threats and harassment, it is understandable that many Jewish students are looking for alternatives and looking to Florida, said Governor Ron DeSantis. We want again to make it clear that Jewish students are welcome to live here and learn in Florida where they will be respected and not persecuted due to their faith. Again, another bold statement on the governor's part here on the free state of Florida. Very proud of that. Well, extreme weather barreled across much of the United States yesterday. Severe storms and tornadoes swept through the south. Heavy rains and strong winds pummeled the east coast. Snow fell in the Midwest and blizzard conditions blanketed the Pacific Northwest. More than 25 million people from Florida to Virginia were under tornado watches throughout yesterday evening with expected wind gusts of up to 70 miles an hour in parts of North Carolina and Virginia. It was windy here, too, for goodness sake. I think gusts had to be up to 20 miles an hour. At least 10 tornadoes were reported across Texas, Florida, and Alabama since Monday, with at least four touching down in Florida. If you haven't seen the pictures and the videos of what happened in Panama City, it is just incredible. Roofs removed because of the tornadic forces, and uh, I just feel for the people up in that area because it's not only businesses and homes that were devastated by uh, in Panama City. A state of emergency was declared in 49 counties in North Florida. At least three deaths were attributed to the storm. About two to four inches of rain was expected in the northeast. A separate storm triggered a rare blizzard warning in Oregon and Washington, with some areas expecting over a foot of snow through today. Meanwhile, a wintry mix moved through the plains and the Midwest. So, uh, got to be mindful of uh, friends and relatives that you may have in these areas all over the United States. 65% 65% or most of almost uh, a full two-thirds of Americans say it is very accurate or somewhat accurate to describe the Biden-made crisis at the U.S. border as an invasion of the United States. The data comes as part of the new Rasmussen Report's polling of likely U.S. voters asked how accurate is it to describe the current situation of the migrants at the border with Mexico as an invasion of the United States. Just 31% said it was not accurate. The number of it, or even more stark, was broken down in constituent voting groups. 70% of 18 to 39-year-olds described invasion as accurate, with just 27% in disagreement. 74% of black Americans described invasion as accurate, with 60% of whites and 73% of others agreeing. 55% of Democrats described invasion as accurate, with 80% of Republicans and 60% of others agreeing. Just 27% of self-identifying liberals described invasion as accurate, with 77% of conservatives and 60% of moderates in agreement. The poll was conducted January the 2nd through the 4th. And so I think most Americans, as you can hear, are uh, consider the border situation with Mexico to be an invasion. 
On Tuesday, the House Oversight Committee learned of the testimony from the owner of Hunter Biden's art gallery that a majority of the First Son's artwork was purchased by Joe Biden's Democrat donors. The art gallery owner also told the committee that he never communicated with the White House about the supposed ethnic agreements that the Biden administration previously claimed was governing Hunter Biden's work within the profession, which included his art career. The Biden White House appears to have deceived the American people about facilitating an ethics agreement governing the sale of Hunter Biden's art. Hunter Biden's gallerist never had any communication with the White House about such an agreement to make sure that there was any sort of ethics compliance at all. And he uh, provided information to the committee revealing how Hunter Biden's amateur art career is an ethics nightmare. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer said in a press release after the art gallery owner's testimony, the vast majority of Hunter Biden's art has been purchased by Democrat owners, one of whom was appointed by the president to a prestigious commission after she purchased Hunter Biden's arts for tens of thousands of dollars shortly after Biden's inauguration. The White House has a lot of explaining to do about misleading the American people, Comer said. The art gallerist uh, told the committee that a majority of Hunter Biden's art was purchased by Democrat owners, what Comer called an ethics nightmare. Certainly is. Why else would they buy it? <laughs> he doesn't have any talent. Uh, it's just simply a way to funnel funds uh, for favor uh, from the Biden administration. That's how he was selling influence uh, here in the United States. Of course, he's selling influence in other ways around the globe. <clears throat> The original number of jobs reported by the federal government in 2023 was revised down by a total of 749,000 jobs, meaning nearly one-fourth of jobs throughout, uh, thought to be created in, in the year, in 2023, were not actually, not actually there, according to the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The sum of the ins, uh, initial estimate from each of the government's monthly job growth reports in 2023 totaled 3,140,000 new jobs. Uh, with later reports revising down the number of jobs added uh, by a collective 443,000, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. By the time you include all the monthly revisions and the annual benchmark revision, about one quarter of all the jobs we thought were added last year have be re been revised away, said E.J. Antoni. If you haven't seen him, he's a very impressive guy, uh, economist. He's a research fellow at the uh, Heritage Foundation. One quarter of the jobs created last year, uh, not true. Makes you wonder how this administration could influence even things like the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, numbers that are coming out on a monthly basis. Well, Israel is reportedly planning to change its strategy in Gaza, it could be scaling back its ground and offensive off offensive as it uh, focuses more on targeted wa warfare. The Israeli military is now uh, beginning to cut back on the number of troops it has in Gaza. Israeli uh, officials have reportedly told the U.S. that they plan to complete the transition by the end of the month. It comes as a, Israel focuses not only on Hamas, but also another Iranian-backed military group, Hezbollah, of course, in Lebanon. Iranian-funded Hezbollah has ties to Hamas and has a history of fighting with Israel. Yesterday, Hezbollah said at, uh, an Israel strike in Lebanon killed its most senior commander yet. Israel has commented on the strike. Since October the 7th, the attacks between Hezbollah and Israel marked some of the deadliest fighting since the war uh, went into war in 2006. 
This comes as Israel is also reportedly increasing the number of strikes that it carries out in Syria, targeting other Iranian-linked groups and arms transfers. The back and forth between uh, adds to the fears that the conflict could spread to the rest of the region. Uh, Israeli uh, <coughs> Israel could be charging its way, uh, changing it, uh, its war strategy amid a mounting death toll, which has uh, pushed the U.S. to call for restraint with more than 23,000 uh, Palestinians now reported killed. Uh, my question is reported by who? I think it's by the Hamas's <clears throat> uh, bureaucrat uh, bureaucracy. Can we trust that number? I don't know. More than 1,200 Israelis have died as a result of this. It comes at the fi- as the fighting has now surpassed three months, the longest bout of fighting since uh, 2014. Christian Ziegler, the Republican Party of Florida, voted to remove Ziegler as chairman amid a police investigation into alleged rape that uh, conducted by him. A woman alleges that she had plans for a consensual threesome with Ziegler and his wife. Then on that day, the woman said she backed out and accused Ziegler of sexual assault. Before the accusation, the Zieglers were known as a GOP power couple in the state and supporters of Governor DeSantis. Ziegler has denied the allegations and refused to step down. Meanwhile, his wife is resisting calls to resign from the local school board. But the fact of the matter is, he's being replaced. And uh, <clears throat> don't need those ty- that type of controversy going into an election year for sure. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the nature and limits of federalism. Uh, just to continue the discussion, maybe you could just remind our listeners about the, the definition of federalism. Federalism is dual sovereignty. That is the division of power and authority between the federal and the state government, the purpose of which is to secure individual liberty. So it's to protect us as individuals, not to protect the states. Doesn't feel that way all the time right now, but can, can a state or local legislature nullify federal law? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, the theory of nullification holds that the federal government exists by the will of the states, and therefore the states have the right to decide which federal laws are constitutionally valid inside their borders. But the U.S. Constitution, which was, of course, ratified by the states, means something quite different, and that is that our courts have the final word. Federalist 78, Hamilton wrote that the courts have the duty, and this is a quote, to declare all acts contrary to the manifest tenor of the Constitution void. And Madison shared that view. He said the states can declare federal laws unconstitutional, but the declaration would have no legal effect Hmm. unless the courts agreed. Three years after that, in 1803, uh, Chief Justice John Marshall settled the matter in Marbury versus Madison. He wrote, it is emphatically the province and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. And that doctrine has been followed ever since. So instead of 50 individual states and hundreds of localities reaching different conclusions regarding constitutionality. We have one Supreme Court that establishes a uniform rule for the entire nation. And you, you can imagine what would have occurred if we had state nullification. Yeah. I mean, Chicago's ban on guns would still be in effect. Orville Faubus could still have blocked the Arkansas uh, Arkansas school integration uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, Virginia could still be banning interracial 
marriages, which uh, they got rid of in 1967, uh, Texas might still be jailing gay people for having uh, consensual relationships. So the answer, in short, states cannot nullify federal law. There's an example going on right now at the border. Right now the uh, Department of Justice is asking the Supreme Court to uh, keep uh, Texas from defending the border, saying they have no right to. It's a federal province that has their their right to do it, but they're not doing it. Can you comment? Yeah, the argument there is, first of all, are the feds meeting their responsibility? And second, which provision of the Constitution are we talking about? Uh, there is a provision that says, of course, that the federal government has the authority over naturalization. Technically, it does not say immigration, although it's been interpreted to include mm-hmm. uh, immigration. Well, we'll see how the court comes out on this. In the meantime, are states required to enforce federal law and enact federal regulatory uh, progs? Uh, the the answer on on both counts is no. Uh, in the nineteen ninety seven case, Prince versus the United States, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal government could not uh, commandeer state law enforcement authorities to conduct background checks on handgun purchasers. And then in 1992, in New York versus the United States, the court ruled that Congress cannot obligate the states to enact specified waste disposal regulations. So, you know, to repeat, the feds can't compel, cannot compel the states to enforce federal law, and the feds cannot force the states to enact a particular law or regulation. That's so interesting. So can the federal government grant or deny benefits to encourage state cooperation? Yeah, that's what they do a lot of times. Instead of forcing the states, the feds sometimes make their programs supposedly optional, uh, usually by promising the states they'll receive lots of money by cooperating Mm -hmm. or they'll be denied uh, lots of money if they don't. Uh, cooperate. And that's called conditional spending. It's designed so Congress can achieve ends that would otherwise be outside of their role as specified in the Constitution. And the key case there was South Dakota versus Dole back in 1987, in which the states were told they had to adopt a 21-year-old minimum drinking age, or else if they didn't, it was voluntary, supposedly, they would lose 5% of their federal highway funds. And Chief Justice Rehnquist, in a 7-2 to two opinion, said, okay, that, that's permissible as long as the carrot or the stick that the feds are using is closely related to the state cooperation that the feds desire. So how in the world did the court conclude that highway funds and drinking age were related? Yeah, in the, uh, Dole, in the Dole case, Rehnquist amazingly, from my perspective, concluded that the connection between highway funds and drinking age was close enough. Supposedly, different drinking ages create an incentive for teenagers to drive to the low-age states, have a few drinks, and then drive home. And Congress, of course, wanted the roads that it finances to be used safely. Mm -hmm. So that's all it took to link uh, drinking age and highway funds. And during the 24 years after the Dole case, the court did not invalidate a single use of this device technical spending. 
Well, it's a pretty tenuous uh, connection there, but indeed, can, yeah. can can the federal government impose conditions on the states that are coercive? No, they can't. Uh, so cooperation cannot be compelled by imposing conditions that are so draconian as to be considered uh, coercive. And that principle was established fairly recently in the infamous Obamacare case, NFIB versus Sebelius. Chief Justice Roberts and six other justices declared that the threat to withdraw all Medicaid reimbursement if a state refused to expand the Medicaid program was coercive because practically it left the states with no real option. So in effect, there's now a new test beyond the Dole case uh, for the carrot and stick policy, and that is the funding may not be so vital to the states as to essentially force their compliance. So can a state or locality impede federal enforcement of a federal law? Again, the answer is no. Uh, The feds have unquestioned authority to enforce their own laws using their own law enforcement personnel, unless, of course, the courts have held that the law is not constitutional. Individuals are therefore not exempt from prosecution by the feds merely because they happen to live in a state that has declared a particular law unconstitutional. There is no express or implied power in either the national or the various state constitutions that enable states to prevent federal enforcement. So to summarize, first, state officials need not enforce federal laws. Mm -hmm. Second, Congress cannot mandate that states enact specified laws. But third, the states may not block federal officials who attempt to enforce federal law, except when the courts have declared that the law is not constitutional. So fascinating and interesting. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. 
Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. He's a great guy. I've known him for years. You can vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisors of Elections. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. So on Wednesday mornings, we typically start our conversations with the good news that you've reaped for us and share with us. Yeah, I have some good news. Um, Bill Ackman, who is a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager, uh, the first who have exposed Claudine Gay's plagiarism at, at Harvard, uh, has announced that he is going to invest a huge part of his money using artificial intelligence to do research on all college administrators, faculty members, and reporters for plagiarism. And he says he has the resources to make it happen, and I believe he will make it happen. I think this is a step that is very, very welcome. Um, I'm going to go into uh, colleges a little bit later, but let me just make the point here. Uh, In universities, it's a well-known meme that uh, you you must publish or perish. Mm -hmm. Now, with that in mind, uh, faculty members and administrators are always pumping out all kinds of articles to to, uh, resources that are only created... Uh, to publish for these faculty members and administrators so they can publish. Uh, They're really not very, very well-distributed type of uh, publications. Uh, Some of the uh, material that's been accepted by these are are absurd, and many faculty members have tested this by making up the most absurd articles and submitting them, and these things have been published. (laughs) So I think we're looking at uh, an area of of academia that I hope Bill Ackman follows through on and exposes the incredible degree of plagiarism that exists. And I think to a large extent it's, uh, it's prompted by this publish or perish phenomenon in universities, Bob. So does that in any way exonerate uh, President Gay? No, it doesn't exonerate. It merely explains. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference. The, 
you know, I think that you're, you're not allowed to plagiarize, uh, yeah. no, no matter what, especially in academia. It's one of the, the golden rules. I mean, we enforce it on my students. Uh, as a matter of fact, on all my syllabuses, I, I automatically include uh, the, the issues of plagiarism and what will happen if they plagiarize. So this is not something that's taken lightly, at least on the surface. And yet beneath that surface, there is such an incredible degree of plagiarism yeah. uh, that it really uh, it can't be denied. And again, let me just reinforce, I hope Bill Ackman follows, follows through on this. Uh, you had mentioned off-air that I had recently published an essay where it said what colleges um, could be, should be, were, and aren't. And I go into a long discussion there of my career going back 25 years uh, as a classroom faculty member, where as a conservative in, an, in a liberal college, essentially, I was called on for debates on affirmative action, debates on Charles Murray's The Bell Curve, uh, debates that were essentially pitting uh, the conservative position against the liberal position. Uh, this was welcomed by my school. The, the sometimes classes were canceled so the students uh, could attend these debates. Uh, and it was just, just an inf- a fantastic intellectual environment. I, I mentioned that my best friend there was a liberal, and we used to meet every morning and just, and just throw bombs at each other, and uh, <laughs> people would show up just, just for the uh, theatrics of it. So uh, I, I pointed out the difference just 25 years ago in what colleges and universities were, uh, certainly as compared to what they are now, Bob. Well, of course, uh, that uh, type of debate wouldn't be happening in today's environment right now because it would be uh, offensive to the liberals, let's say. I I guess we could refer to you when we use identity politics as a token conservative. (laughs) I mean, look, there's this issue of safe zones within universities where students are theoretically allowed to be in environments where they will not be be impacted by uh, comments, thoughts, ideas uh, that will trigger them. Uh, this, this issue of triggering is a presumption that students are, are very fragile psychological beings, and if you say the wrong thing to them, they'll just uh, break down in tears and their lives will be shattered. Yeah. This, this nonsense is, is absurd. I, uh, as a faculty member, I was hard-hitting. I, I uh, espoused essentially what might be called conservative positions. I think they were just uh, uh, positions of reality, uh, and the students survived. They, they voted me as the faculty member of the year five times during this period, and most of my students, half of them, uh, were minority students. So this is an environment that isn't as fragile as they make it out to be. Of course, not, at this point, it might be. They may have created, artificially created, that fragility uh, of the psychological mindset of, uh, of students in today's universities. And by the way, the uh, university uh, imp- implemented the JAPA rule, which says that you can't be named faculty member of the year <laughs> more than once in a five-year period. Yeah, I mean, that, that, <laughs> that, that, by the way, that was very true. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for, for your audience, they, I, after I had won this thing five times in a nine-year period, they, uh, they came out with, you, you can only get it once every five years. So, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was sort of pleased by, <laughs> pleased by that in its own way. Um, but let, let's move past that. I might get back to universities later, but let's, let's move past that right now. I saw Ron DeSantis uh, last night on the, uh, the Fox um, uh, uh, town hall show. Yeah. And I thought he handled himself very, very well. I thought, and I, I'm rooting for Ron to do well in Iowa. He's, he's trailing abysmally in New Hampshire. He is fourth, a very bad fourth in New Hampshire. Uh-huh. Uh, if he does not have a good showing in Iowa uh, and then goes into New Hampshire and those polling results uh, show up in the actual election results, 
uh, I'm quite afraid. Not only will he be uh, finished for this uh, uh, election cycle, but I think he might be finished as a major national political candidate. And I do not want to see that happen. Uh, so I'm rooting for Ron DeSantis to, uh, to do well in, uh, in, in Iowa. Uh, I thought his presentation last night, if, uh, if anyone in Iowa watched it, I hope they did during this snowstorm, uh, I think they would be impressed with his knowledge, his ability to uh, to immediately address issues with a, a deep uh, acumen of what's going on in, uh, nationally and internationally. So, yeah, I, I hope that Ron DeSantis does well. I, I would add, Bob, that I thought he didn't intend to, but I think he constantly complimented Donald Trump. Uh-huh. Now, here's what was happening. Uh, Ron DeSantis constantly referred to how good america was three or four years ago right and he must have said this five or six times and uh, he, but he was challenging biden in terms of what biden had done or hadn't done uh but he was uh, referring back to a period of time during the trump administration and he kept he kept saying that three or four years ago it was really good so it was an indirect way i think of of, of complimenting uh, donald trump's presidency well and also saying the truth I, I will say this though when with regard to his uh his stock and how it's going to perform uh, after his uh performance as a candidate for presidency in 2024 i'll say this just keep in mind what happened with richard nixon he was the uh, most widely elected president of the united states and he had so many political failures that preceded that so aside from being governor of, of uh, california so uh, I, th- I don't think it's his uh, future will be tarnished at all. He'll come back very strong. Uh, well, well, we'll see about that. I'm not sure if he can't show any kind of national vote drawing power. I, I think that he'll be uh, certainly weakened. I, I would like to see him uh, in some way, uh, let's say Trump wins the presidency. I hope that's the case. Uh, that I hope uh, Ron DeSantis finishes out his term as governor and then uh, enters the Trump administration in a major capacity. I, I don't want to see him uh, being lost in the shuffle. Uh, I think he's too good a man, and I, I hope you're right, as, as always, Bob. I hope you're right. Uh, but I can see right now he's only at 2% in, in New Hampshire. He's trailing uh, Ramaswamy, who is, uh, who is third, uh, abysmally. So yeah. it's, it's, it would be... If he has any kind of showing in New Hampshire beyond the 2% uh, and, and shows some sort of momentum, I think that'll be good news. But again, I'm rooting for Ron DeSantis, and I hope uh, that, I, that you're right about this, as always, and I'm wrong. Okay, Andy. Need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I certainly will be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. 
and a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to open this fall. It's going to be absolutely terrific. Also, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get some tickets to some upcoming performances by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Jopper, professor of, of uh and author of Josephus of Oz. And Andy, before I, we get into the next topic, I want to mention to our listeners that uh, your latest column we just discussed appears on my website. If you go to uh, bobharden.com and click on Correct Me If I'm Wrong, you'll find Andy's latest column. So, Andy, uh, any more good news? Uh, no more good news. Well, that that I can uh, artificially create, at least. Uh, <laughs> let me talk about a few quotations of Isolator. I like quotations that sometimes are uh, things that expose the mindset of the political left, and I think these, uh, these will do that. Uh, recently, Mike Johnson was on Face the Nation uh, with the, uh, the host, uh, hostess, Margaret Brennan, uh, and she indicated that his filing of the Texas amicus brief uh, in 2021 uh, had essentially positioned him as an election denier. And Mike Johnson asked her, have you, have you read my brief? And she said, no. But I did read the criticism of it. So here she is, a, a, a national um, voice uh, for fa- on Face the Nation. She's challenging Mike Johnson and accusing him, essentially, of being an election denier, although that's not, to me, an accusation that's, that's problematic. Uh, and essentially, she has not even read the amicus brief that she was uh, using as the source of challenging him. So uh, that, a typical uh, issue of the left, they, uh, they have this cyclical way of, of understanding things. They have their own internal ways of, of manipulating information, and it becomes uh, the accepted truth on the left. So I think Margaret Brennan's situation exposed that. Uh, there was another uh, comment made by Kirsten Powers on CNN where she said um, she is fully in favor of free speech. And if the Republicans do not want to be censored, then they should stop saying things worthy of being censored. <laughs> so, I mean, that is a typical leftist position. You know, I'm in favor of free speech, except things that I think should be censored. Right. Uh, 
And another comment by Joe Scarborough, former Republican, now a far leftist. Uh, he says we need a strong IRS in order to keep America safe. So uh, the IRS is necessary to keep America safe. Uh, and just one more, which is, I think, sort of just uh, indicating the ignorance sometimes in the left. Uh, Time magazine said with the with a major dam collapsing due to Russian war efforts, uh, this could be become Ukraine's Chernobyl. Now, somebody should tell Time magazine that Chernobyl was in is Ukraine. In Ukraine. <laughs> uh, that might be a, a revelation to people on, on, on Time magazine. I am constantly amazed at the ignorance that the left displays about basic issues uh, in terms of what's going on in the world, Bob. That's amazing. Well, what do you think what's happening here with uh, the uh, J6? Apparently, the FBI has gone out and arrested two more people three years after January 6th. Uh, and again, starting this whole process. In the meantime, Ray Epps gets uh, probation, $500 fine, and community service. And he's the guy, I think, that was whipping up all the uh, anger and so forth and the froth about uh, uh, going into the Capitol building. Definitely, in my opinion, he was an FBI uh, resource. And uh, getting light punishment compared to those that are still in jail and haven't even been properly uh, charged for what they've, what they've done. It certainly is, is a complete outrage from start to finish. If we look at the recent comments uh, coming out of, I think, uh, D.C. federal attorney Graves, as I remember. I, yeah. I don't have that in front of me. Uh, but he indicated he was going to be going after everyone that was even outside the Capitol building on that day. He said this will result in uh, perhaps thousands of more arrests. So uh, not only are they not correcting the uh, egregious illegalities of what took place to this point, but Graves is uh, going to expand that. Uh, to include anyone that was even in the vicinity of the Capitol building. Uh, so this is a, a growing crime, a growing violation of the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, we've had 900 convictions, uh, which they cite as, a, as proof positive of their guilt. Uh, in fact, these people could not withstand the federal onslaught legally and, and survive financially. They just, they just couldn't do it. So uh, many had to plead guilty just to, uh, to avoid the ongoing uh, legal uh, expense that would have been incurred. Uh, so this is a, an egregious problem. Uh, at the same time, they haven't been able to find uh, the, pipe, the, the people who left the, the pipe bomb at the, uh, at the Democratic headquarters. Uh, with all the information they have on that situation, all the videos they have, they can find someone who was outside the Capitol building, but they haven't been able to find the person who put the pipe bomb outside the Democratic headquarters. So this is obviously a political uh, uh, folk, uh, uh, witch hunt. I'm sorry? Witch hunt. Yeah, that's a word that I should have used. I wasn't <laughs> going to use it, but I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, well, and, you know, this uh, congressman, I, I keep on forgetting his name, but congressman from Louisiana, former detective, uh, law enforcement officer, he's done his own investigation, led his own investigation what's happened with January 6th. He claims, uh, by the way, on a, on a most recent Tucker Carlson release, he claims that there were more than 200 agents, FBI agents and informants, uh, really conducting and uh, orchestrating what happened on January 6th. It's just absolutely atrocious. You think about the number of agencies, the FBI, uh, the uh, Capitol Police, the uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi and people in Congress who helped orchestrate this entire thing, all with the purpose of trying to disable Donald Trump and his, and his agency. 
I mean, look, this is uh, undoubtedly true. I mean, the questioning of Christopher Ray before Congress when he was asked the question about that, uh, he said I, he's not, not aware of the number. He would have to uh, do some research on it. Here you have the director of the FBI yeah. who's unable to, uh, to document what should be uh, immediately a part of his, his awareness. Uh, so this is obviously a, a cover-up. Uh, I think it's a critical question. If we, if we could find out of the active p- people who were violent, and there weren't many, but of the active people who were violent, if we could find a third of them or any reasonable uh, proportion of them that were uh, government agents, I think we have a whole different scenario that has to be assessed, not one of an insurrection, but of a government attempt uh, to damage the potential candidacy or the future candidacy of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Well, and of course, I was just delighted to see that uh, Judicial Watch is helping to uh, this case, a civil case, against the United States government for the murder of his wife. Uh, of course, it wasn't uh, listed as a murder by Lieutenant Byrd of the Capitol Police. Shot her point blank range, never gave her a warning. Never. It's just awful, and I'm so glad that uh, Judicial Watch has stepped up to support uh, this case uh, to uh, to convict or to find guilty thirty million dollars. I, I hope they uh, this ends up in some sort of a criminal indictment against Lieutenant Byrd. I, I hope so. He certainly deserves it. Uh, he's living a, a life of luxury right now as a hero of the left, and it's just it's a, it's a total outrage. Uh, it is a it's a, a legal murder at this point, as you pointed out, Bob. And uh, this whole situation is so ripe with with fraud and illegality. And I just wish there was a more unified effort from the Republicans in Congress to uh, to go after this. I know there are some uh, some who do go after it uh, with with some uh, some power some leverage, uh, but I think it has to be a unified effort. This is a, 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 an extremely serious issue that is a, you know, when the left talks about threats to our government, threats to the democracy, which we're not, but a, a threat to our country, this is the, one of the most serious threats to our country at this point, the way they have uh, used January 6th uh, to, in fact, damage, damage the right, damage Trump, uh, damage the entire political process of this country, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. We're going to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll certainly be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, helping to prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in their elected office. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Hey, I just want to remind our listeners that Clerk... Crystal Kinzel is pleased to announce that registration is open for the fourth annual Valentine's Day wedding and vow renewal ceremony. And it doesn't cost anything. You can uh, renew your vows, and it's a very popular event. Just encourage you to visit uh, uh, callyourclerk.com, callyourclerk.com to find out more. So, Andy. uh, By the way, I renew my vows every day. Wonderful. Well, you've (laughs) got a wonderful wife. I mean, (laughs) You hit the jackpot, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did, Bob. So, uh, Andy, uh, any thoughts about Secretary of Defense Austin and what's happened in his yeah, situation? Yeah, I do. Let me just uh, introduce something briefly, which I think is not a, a major issue, but it possibly could be. Uh, for the first time in the NFL, National Football League's history, <clears throat> one of their playoff games will not be available on national television. It'll be streamed only on Peacock. Now, this is not a big deal, and most people who don't care about the NFL don't care about this. Uh, but I think we're looking at a general pattern that is going to open up and become uh, more the norm, uh, where the NFL, in fact, only provides their game on paid services. Now, for some people, uh, the NFL is a great distraction. It's, it's part of their lifestyle. It's, it's something they really enjoy. So once again, in America, rather than moving us towards a, uh, a more user-free, type, user-friendly type of environment, they're moving us into what may, may be a more costly environment. So again, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I think that it reflects an, an attitude coming from the NFL, coming from our larger institutions, about how the American public can be mistreated and get away with it, Bob. I think it's a great observation. I think you're definitely right about the uh, the, the tendency of the movement towards paid uh, TV and events as opposed to uh, commercial-supported uh, uh, type of events. So uh, thank you for that. And what about uh, Secretary of Austin? Secretary Austin, uh, who, let, let's, let's be... Uh, Let's be decent humans about this. I'm I'm glad he uh, had his uh, uh, his prostate cancer diagnosed and apparently taken care of successfully. So I, I think that's that's a that's a good news story. Yeah. On the other hand, I think that he 
being out of contact during an environment, international environment, where there are several wartime environments, the Houthis in Yemen, the, uh, the, uh, the potential of war with Hezbollah uh, in the northern part of Israel. There are many environments that need the immediate potential reaction of the Secretary of Defense. Uh, and Austin went into the hospital and then was readmitted with an infection and was totally out of touch with everybody. The president didn't know it happened. The, uh, the assistant secretary of defense didn't know what happened. Uh, Jake Sullivan didn't know what happened. So I think, to me, if I was to interpret this, it reflects that the decisions in our government take place at a level far, far below the theoretical voices that should be making those. So I don't think Biden makes our defense decisions. I don't think, I don't think Austin makes our defense decisions. So when they're out of contact, I don't think anybody even cares or notices because that's not where the decisions are being made. Uh, I think right now Austin should just take the opportunity before he gets impeached, which might be possible, uh, mm -hmm. that he resigned because there's a long recuperative process from, from his type of prostate cancer. I think he could make the point that uh, he is going to step down, I think, uh, for his own reputation. I think this is the moment where he should do that. But I think we have to really investigate how decisions are made. What is the level of transparency in the federal government, Bob? Such an interesting observation. I'll add to that that it also may be evidence of uh, discord within the Biden administration, apparently. Apparently, uh, usually the, the president meets once a week with the vice president. That's not happening. It hasn't happened for a long period of time, apparently not even talking to her. Uh, the, and there's a lot of discord within, uh, within the uh, administration itself. So that may be more evidence of that as well. Well, I know that uh, I've heard, and I use the word, they've used the word hundreds to describe the number of, of, of members of the, um, of the Biden primary campaign process uh, that have uh, have dropped out of that of that um, process. Right. Uh, so I think there are there is discord. Um, I can't believe there aren't some decent human beings buried someplace in that <laughs> Biden administration that push back against some of the the absurdities that Biden has come out with, including you know recently his outrageous racist comments at a uh, at an African American church and uh, his uh, stoking of of racial animus is just I think uh, an outrageous uh, process. One that he's uh, picking up directly from his, prede his, his predecessor, uh, Democrat predecessor, Obama. I think that was one of the great turning points uh, in a major American racial um, uh, accord. And I think that uh, Biden is uh, also creating a discord between the races that I think is not going to serve as well, Bob. Well, hopefully he'll have little uh, impact after 2024 election. So uh, we can only hope that somehow, some way, the elections are uh, somewhat fraud-free and that uh, President Biden uh, will be out of office and uh, President Trump will be taking over and helping us to clear, clear out the uh, deep state. Well, I think there's no chance they'll be fraud-free. I think we, the best we can hope for is they're not significant enough to alter the outcome, uh, which I, I find that even in doubt. Uh, but certainly there's going to be fraud. These are the Democrats. These are people on the left. 
they have been planning for the 2024 election uh, ever since 2020 ended. And I, uh, I know there'll be an extravagant level of fraud in that election. Uh, I just hope that it's not significant, Bob. I do, too. Andy Joppa, again, a professor and author of Josephus of Law. Terrific read, by the way, uh, but not on today's topics. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining Remind us. Remind me to talk about the dome of Donald Trump next week, Bob. You've got it, certainly, Andy. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and uh, learned a lot today. Uh, if you enjoyed it, I hope you pass the word on to your friends and acquaintances. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. Tomorrow we have terrific guests lined up for the show, including Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Former Mayor of Naples, Bill Bornett, will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Keith Law, the co-founder and CEO of the Florida Citizens Alliance. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.